Welcome to the Benwood Johnson Podcast. You can visit Dr. Johnson's blog at benwoodpost.com. Dr. Johnson's works can be found at drbenwoodjohnson.com. You can also support Dr. Johnson on Patreon, the link to which is in the description. Hey, welcome to the Benwood Johnson podcast. Uh, today is May 13, 2019, and this is podcast number 30. Today, we are going to talk about good and bad. What is good? What is bad? Yeah, I know this is a very um, simple or uh, to the point uh, concept, right? Uh, it is good eh, because it is good. It is bad because it is bad. But underneath that understanding, I think there's something else to this concept. Uh, we could examine the concept of, of good and the concept of bad um, from a different angle. What that means is that, um, you know, we have to look at, at the foundation of the concept itself. What does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be good? Um, you know, when is something good? When is something bad? When something is good, is it good for everybody? When something is bad, is it bad for everybody? So in other words, is there a collective understanding as to what righteousness is or what righteousness could be? In this podcast, uh, we're going to delve into this concept. You know, we're going to examine the concept of good and the concept of bad uh, from a much more uh, philosophical uh, angle, from a deeper uh, perspective. We're going to debate whether or not it is always good or whether or not it is always bad. We're going to debate the extent to which what is good for you is also good for me. And we're going to talk a little bit about society in terms of how we, as a, as a species, have constructed the term good and bad to mean certain things in certain contexts and to mean other things in other contexts. I will also debate the impact of all those approaches could have on the being. So without further ado, let us delve right into it. Righteousness, good, bad, morality. These concepts are the foundation of human civilization. They are the pillars of who we are as entities roaming through the planet known as planet Earth. What is good is always desired and what is bad is always rejected if it is good then it is good if it is bad then it should be rejected denounced renounced rejected to a point where if you are bad, then you are evil. 
But the question becomes, what do these terms really mean? What is good? What is bad? What is righteous and what is not? How do we, as a species who evolve amongst other species, recognize what is righteous? How do we reconcile what is not righteous? In many of my other podcasts, I have talked about these concepts in one way or another. And there's a reason for it, because they are the foundation of my philosophy, at least the way I understand the world. When we are talking about righteousness, when we are talking about what is good, what is humane, or inhumane to that extent, we are also defining us as an entity or as entities. The definition that we assign to ourselves is often based on our subjective understanding of what we are or who we are. Therefore, that understanding is not necessarily a universal understanding as to who we really are or what we really are. In this podcast, let us delve a little bit deeper into the notion of good versus bad. What is good? What is bad? And how do we reconcile the two? Sometimes it is difficult to understand what the word good or what the concept good means. Similarly, it could be difficult to understand what the concept of bad really means. In general term, being good means comfort or pleasurable experiences. And good usually means everything or anything that does not cause hardship to the human body. Then the question one must ask, if that is the case, then there's no such thing as as good. Because in order for good to exist, we must have a clear understanding as to what good is. Fundamentally, we must find a situation where good is always there, independently of everything else. There's nothing within the natural that is either good or bad. In other words, there's not a clear delineation between what is and what is not. So at some point, we ought to come to a conclusion based on our understanding of what is, which does not necessarily mean that what we think is, is actually what is. The notion of good, at least as men understand it, is pigment of our imagination. It is a pure rendering of our understanding of our world. Good, 
as I have just described it, could only be when we could establish a clear delineation between what is and what is not. In other words, good would have to be independent of everything else. Thereby, we would be able to make a clear differentiation between what is and what is not. And in doing so, we would be able to tell whether this is good or whether that is bad. As I will demonstrate further in this monologue, this is seldom the case. Sometimes what is good for one entity is also bad for another. What is good for one human being is also bad for another. So what is righteous sometimes is relative to who is experiencing it or who is not. Okay. So based on that understanding alone, we could see that the concept of good sort of limited to, to a subjective lens, to a subjective perception of what is or what is not. There's no, no fundamental differentiation into what is and what is not. So if good were to be the result of what is not bad to the human body or what does not cause hardships to the human body, then there would be or there should be a situation where the human being would never experience hardships. There should be a time, a moment where the human body does not experience hardship in relation to experiencing something pleasurable. But in reality, there's a, there's a contradiction. There's something that contrasts what the human body was seemingly created for. Because when you look at the human body, biologically speaking, or perhaps psychologically speaking, the human body is equipped with sensors. Okay? And those sensors are there to pick up things within the natural. Those things are either positive or negative. In other words, what you feel at a certain time could either be a feeling of positive or a feeling of negative. Or a feeling of something positive or a feeling of something negative. So what you feel is the result of what your body is able to perceive. The perception of your body is based on those biological or perhaps psychological or neurological connections that your body has with the external or even sometimes with the internal. But as you are, you are in a relationship with nature whereby you experience nature as nature experiences you. And that relationship allows you to gauge yourself within the natural. And as you gauge yourself within the natural, you are able to tell whether or not that experience is either pleasurable or not. Okay? And as, as you experience your world, the world experiences you. And that back and forth between you and the world, at least your world, is what life is about. Is what living is. Is you being able to perceive yourself in relation to others. And by being able to perceive yourself in relation to others, you are able to gear yourself, to steer yourself in the right position, in the right direction. And let me give you an example. Ever since you were a child, you were told that fire is bad. Do not touch fire. And if you touch fire, you're going to burn. 
Now that knowledge has not really sinked into a child. Because the child does not understand right off the bat what bad means. And when you tell this child that don't touch the fire, you're going to get burned, the child cannot conceive what you mean or what you could possibly mean. The child has to venture on his own. And in venturing on his own, he is going to find out what you mean. Because if the child were to touch that thing that has, that has a direct connection with fire, it could be fire itself, but sometimes it is something that is hot. Okay. When, when the child goes and experiences that thing on his own, then he realizes that there is not a pleasurable feeling to doing that. You see, let's say you have a boiling hot water on the, on the, on the stove somewhere. And then the child happens to be in contact with that or in proximity with that for one reason or another. And the child, curious that he is, launches his hands or fingers, if you will, and touches that. And as he touches it, immediately the connection between the body and nature kicks in. And that connection sends the signal to the body, hey, this is hot. And the child immediately recoils. And as he does, he learns what burning is, what a burning sensation is. And the, the child also learns that this is not good. Say touching that that pot or that 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 boiling thing, that boiling pan, if you will, on the stove is not good. So the child is able to make that association. So, but the concept of good itself does not come into play until the child is able to reconcile that hardship onto the body. So it is bad when the child is able to see, hey, wait a minute, I just touched that and it sent something into my body. There's a signal that was sent into my body that told me this is not the pleasurable feeling. This is not something you want to do continually. So the child gets that. But the child would not have gotten it unless he experienced it himself. So when we're talking about what is good, Sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes it has to be felt. It has to be experienced on a personal level. It has to be conceived, perceived on a personal level in order to make sense. So right there, what is good is relative to the the experience. Of course, we could go farther uh, to this, this, this logic to say sometimes it might take more to burn a child than another. I, I mean, there are kids who might touch that part and do not react the same way as others. Okay? There's a kid who's going to touch that pen, is going to feel the burn, and is going to try to resist it by holding it a little longer than others. And there are those who are going to take pleasure in doing it. They're going to keep touching it and touching it, touching it until it becomes some 
something pleasurable for them to do. Of course, there are all kinds of ways we've called these people in real life. Sometimes we call them sadics. Uh, he's a sadic. I've heard this term being used, um, you know, to describe somebody who takes pleasure in some something harmful, right? Something that might be harmful to one person might be a source of pleasure for another. Of course, we're not making any sexual inference in saying that. But what I'm saying here is that what is harmful, what is bad, sometimes is relative to the individual, okay? But what could be said along these lines is that the human body was created for hardships. Or at least the human body was created for both good and bad, okay? So by that logic, it could be said that the human body was created for feelings that are not necessarily good. The human body was designed to endure both hardships and pleasure. Then if that is the case, the question one must ask is, what is good? Of course, as I have inferred previously, is that there's a certain selectivity, a certain subjectivity as to what is good and what is not. But to make it clear, what I am trying to say here is that if the individual has the capacity to himself decide which is and which is not, therefore there is no collective understanding as to what is and what is not. If the individual has the capacity to make this distinction into this is good for me, therefore this is not, then the collective could not come to a consensus that is a genuine consensus as to what is good and what is not. Because what is good for one person is not necessarily going to be good for another. The same thing is true as to what is bad. What is bad for one individual might not be so for another. In fact, it might take more than one thing for, for a person to realize that, hey, this is bad. In the example of the child touching the boiling pan or the, the hot water or the fire, for some child, just a touch of that thing might be an indication that it is bad and the child is going to recoil. For others, one touch might not be enough. Two touches might not be enough. For another child, touching that boiling thing might be a source of pleasure. Okay? What I'm saying here is not set in stone. But I am trying to articulate what it means to be righteous and at the same time to be bad. What it means for something to be either good or bad. Okay? So at the end of the day, what is good is relative to what we make of it or what, what the individual makes of it. Now the question is, how does one go about defining something that is good or something that is bad? Now, is it good because I think it is good? Is it good because you and I think it is good? Is it good because he thinks it is good? Is it good because we agree that it is good? What is good? What is righteous? Is it good because we know that it is not necessarily, but we come to a consensus as to it is acceptable to a point to, even though it might not be good for me entirely, but I can see why it is good for you. Therefore, I am willing to accept it as being good for us. Is it good because we have a way of finding a common ground as to how we want to define that situation, that entity? that thing or that reality which we experience at a personal level. We're talking about an individual perception 
an individual sense of what is or what is not. Now we have to remember that the perception of the human body oftentimes conflicts within the other perceptions around the self. The way I see my world sometimes conflicts the way you see your world. And not superficially, fundamentally, the way I view my world sometimes conflicts the way you view your world. And sometimes there is no way to reconcile those two differences. There's no way for me to convince you that my way of seeing the world is the way the world is. So that perception is unique because the individual is unique. You know, no two individuals are alike. Even though I might be the son of my dad, that doesn't mean that I am my dad. I could be the son of my mother, that doesn't mean that I am my mother. I could be a twin to you, that doesn't mean that I am you. I am always going to have my own identity. I am always going to be me in accordance with my understanding of what being me means in relation to others. So, I am always going to experience my world differently than you do. I'm always going to see my world differently. I'm always going to be different. No matter how alike we might seem or we might appear to be on the surface. But underneath it all, I'm always going to be something peculiar to you or someone or an entity which is peculiar to you. And at some point, you would have to accept me for being who I am. And I would have to accept you for being who you are. I would have to accept you for seeing your world the way that you do. The same, you would have to accept me for seeing my world the way that I do. Because I perceive my world differently, you perceive your world differently. And since we tend to perceive our world differently, it is virtually impossible to have two human beings experiencing the same thing, the same way, at the same time. And therein lies the debate. Therein lies the foundation of the flaws that make us who we are. Because somehow there's this understanding that we are the same. Somehow there is this understanding that we see the world the same way. We have the same goal. We have the same visions. But no, we don't. We might have similarities in the way we see ourselves. But that doesn't mean that we see ourselves the same way. Okay. So we might experience the same context of the same thing. But that doesn't mean we're experiencing the same thing. We might see the world within the same lens. But not necessarily from the same prism. In other words, if I look at the tree and you look at the same tree, that, that does not necessarily mean that we see the tree the same way. You could convince me of the way to see the tree and I could abide by that. I could agree to see the tree the way you see it or you want me to see it. But that does not necessarily mean that's the way I see the tree or that's the way I could see the tree. Somehow, 
I have to be the way you want me to be. Or you have to be the way I want you to be. But it is not inherent. It is not intrinsic that I am going to be like you are. We're not going to see the tree the same way at the same time within the same context. When I look at the tree, there's a, there's, there's a lot of things happening into my head in relation to who I am, where I am from, what my life has been about up until that point in relation to what your life is. Even though we might have been, we might have come from the same way. We might have had similar experiences along the way. That still doesn't mean we are going to see the tree the same way at that particular moment. Because our perception about the world is different. Okay? So seeing the tree is only relative to the individual. The individual's perception as to what a tree is. Or what he is in relation to a tree. So in other words, the human experience is personal. The human being is unique. What we see, what we understand as entities is unique, is personal. It is never going to be relative to somebody else. So what I'm saying here is that every human experience is unique. Every human understanding of the world is that particular individual's understanding of the world. Every individual is individual intrinsically even though we might look the same on the surface just to repeat myself here a little bit underneath it all we are different we are supposed to be different we were designed to be different our perception of our world is different our perception of ourselves is different our perception of others is different it is unique. So who we are in the world is not a shared relationship. Who we are in the world is incumbent upon who we think we are or who we are able to perceive that we are. Okay. Of course, some of us have been told who we are. And we have grown accustomed to believing that's, that's who we are. Okay. But that does not necessarily make it so. In fact, that does not, I'm sure that that does not make it so. Who you are is only who you could perceive of yourself to be, not who somebody else tells you that you are. So within that context, it is virtually impossible, impossible, I say, to come up with a way to define righteousness, to define good as a universal understanding. It is impossible. We could agree to disagree as to what we think good is. But underneath that understanding, we would know our own truth about what good is. We have our own truth about life or about the world. We have our own biases. We have our own misperceptions, if you will, if you could call it misperception, about the world. Hmm? We have our own misprint about what life is what our lives is and what others' lives are. Okay? So, there's no way of finding a common way to define righteousness or to define good. 
then the question becomes, what is good? What is righteous? What is bad? What is evil? How do we define those concepts? Of course, there are those who would come up with a dogmatic understanding as to what life is. They'll tell you, the Bible says this and the Bible says that. Okay? Again, I'm not here to make this uh, dogmatic argument. And as I've said before, I'm not an atheist. I'm not agnostic. (laughs) I believe in God. I believe in my God. And I want you to believe in your God, not in mine. Because my God is personal. And therefore your God is also personal. But there's this understanding that we could answer every question about the world by looking at some set of ideas that were jotted down somewhere thousands of years ago on, on a piece of paper, you know, and, you know, the answer to the world is in these papers. Now, I don't buy into that. I don't buy into that. Because if it was written by man, if it was said by man, then it is the product of man. Therefore, it is a perception of what life is or what life could be. That doesn't necessarily describe my reality. Probably not describing your reality, but hey, you could believe that it is yours. Even though underneath you might know that it is not your reality. But again, I'm not here to make a dogmatic argument here. As a philosopher, as a thinker, I like to be free in my mind. I don't like to be constrained by ideas that John or Joseph thought about thousands of years ago. They have the right to see the world the way that they did. And I have a right to see my world the way that I do. And you also have a right to reject my right to see my world the way that I do. As I have a right to reject your right to see the world the way that you do. But the point I'm trying to make here is this. Every human being is different. Every human being has a unique way of looking at the world. And the idea that we could go to sets of written documentations or documents which describe how the world is, is nonsensical. And I'm not going to buy into that. And I'm a free thinker. I'm a free, free thinker. And the word free, not in the term freedom, I'm talking about being free in the terms of the ability to look at my world as my nature intended. Okay? That's the kind of thinker that I am. I refuse to look at my world based on your perception of what my world is or what my world could be. I refuse. I follow my instincts. I follow my perceptions of the world. And as you can see in my philosophy, ever since I started this podcast series, is I'm revealing to the world what my philosophy is. This is not something that I'm doing by chance. I want to share my philosophy with the world. I want the world to see the way I see the world. But I want to share my views of the world with the others. And I also want others to to share their views of the world with me. And I'm open to that. I am always open to new ideas. To new ways of looking at the world. But to me, the idea that you could describe, at least you could explain everything that's happening in the world by looking at a set of of, of written documents is nonsensical. And this is not to offend those who are religious in nature. But for, for me, as a thinker, I could not take my world as a reality based on how others saw that reality. So that couldn't be my world. 
and we could we could have a debate as to what is my word what is your word and so on and so forth okay this is for another discussion because those concepts as i said in the beginning are the foundation of who we are they are the foundation of how we treat ourselves that those are the foundation of our society of of our civilization everything that we are today is based on how we understand our world i mean i'm not going to rely on how um, you know somebody saw his world understood his world 20,000 years ago to describe my world my world of today is different from my perspective that doesn't necessarily mean that it is different in terms of you know from a natural perspective but but from my perspective my world is my world so i couldn't live my life according to the way you of course there's wisdom there's wisdom into how the world is or could be and i'm not debating that here what i am talking about is the idea that i have to look at my world from my perspective but the world we live in today is based on how others view the world the foundation of our society is based on how others understood their society so we are doomed to repeat mistakes that others made simply for the fact that we do not take the time to look around and understand our reality and that's the whole point of the book cogito ergo philosophers that's the whole point of the concept of i think therefore i philosophize the idea of being able to think for yourself is important you have to be able to look at your world and understand your world as it is but not as it is presented to you because you have to make that distinction because sometimes the world is presented to you a certain way and if you're going to look at the world from that perspective you are going to be mistaken because right off the bat the world is presented to you a certain way you have to be able to step out of that presentation to step out of that context and see the world for what it is and not how it is presented to you the world is often presented or projected to you a certain way whereby whatever you think about your world is already been predetermined so you have to be able to step out of that and sometimes it requires you to look deep inside yourself to look deep to figure out who you are in relation to others and to figure out who they are in relation to you how they see you and how you see them how you at least how how collectively we see one another and how we treat one another okay it is important to come to a consensus in terms of that not necessarily to agree as to what things are but to understand how we understand the way things are okay so the concept that somehow we are going to establish standards of being we're going to say well okay this is how being is or this is how being is supposed to be if 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 if, if this is how we're going to look at our world then we are doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past and what mistakes of the past are we talking about here We're talking about the continuous cycle of injustice in the name of justice. The continuous cycle of of unfairness in the name of fairness. Okay? The continuous cycle of evil in the name of righteousness. So we have to be able to reconcile that. So those who view the world from the perspective that 
there's an ultimate truth somewhere. All we have to do is pull out a, a piece of paper and, and read into that paper and we're going to see what the world is about. They're doomed to continue that injustice. Because there was a time when, when people saw the world a certain way. They saw their world a certain way. And when they did, they acted accordingly. Okay? And that view of the world was not necessarily righteous. Again, I'm not going to have a, a, a dogmatic argument here, but there are times where those who believe that God was the answer, they also believe that God gave them the power to bring evil upon others. So many atrocities have, have been committed in the name of God. So many wrong have been done in the name of right. So many. That's because those people view the world from a particular prism. They view the world from a particular lens. And they acted upon that lens. But today we have the opportunity to view our world differently. At least to understand that there are those who view the world differently. And acted on that view differently. We also have the opportunity to view our world the way that the world is. And to understand that we as a collective have different understandings about what our world is. And we have to be able to reconcile that. So we could call ourselves out. And we could have a better world if we are able to see that we see the world differently. So the idea that we're going to have standards of being. Whereby righteousness is defined this way. And evil is defined that way. This idea right off the bat is flawed. Like I said in the beginning of this conversation, there's no universal way of being in the world. So at some point, we ought, and I say, we ought to come up with an arbitrary understanding as to what righteousness is or what evil is. And if we are going to come up with an arbitrary understanding as to what it is, the same understanding that pervades our view of the world could also undermine others. So in other words, what I think is righteous, for me, could be evil from another person's perspective. If I think it is okay to put you in jail for doing this, the person that I put in jail might also see that it is unfair for you to put me in jail for doing this. Okay. Of course, you know, somebody might say, well, what are you talking about? This is an anarchist uh, perspective you're trying to portray here. No, I'm not. that's not what I'm talking about. That, that, I, don't, I don't think that the world could be a place where everybody gets to be however, whenever. We need order to some extent. We need order. We need a uh, structure. But it has to be based on a clear understanding as to who we are. Okay? The structure we're going to create has to be relative to our understanding of who we are. It shouldn't be based on an arbitrary understanding as to who we are. And it has to be updated constantly. We have to go back to revise our understanding of what is righteous. And how it affects us as, as a species. So no, I'm not, I'm not for an anarchist viewpoint of the world. I am not proposing an anarchist viewpoint of the world. I don't think the world could be on its own where everybody gets to be. At least as long as we're living in a society, there ought to be some order. But that order has to be based on an understanding of who we are. That order is not supposed to be based on understanding of what John thinks we are, what Jonas thinks that we are. Huh? 
It has to be based on a collective understanding. And that collective understanding has to take into account the fact that we are different. And we view the world differently. And because we view the world differently, there ought to be, or at least there ought to be instances where we realize that we have flaws. And those flaws are not necessarily flaws, but they are imperfections in terms of how we see our world. Okay? So those imperfections must be a reflection of our collectiveness, not not our individuality. If I do something wrong, it is not because I am evil. It is because that's the way I view the world. That's the way I view my world. You have to recognize that I have a way of seeing my world. And if we agree not to behave a certain way, let me give you an example. Suppose that I say, we live in a collective. And in that collective, we say, theft is bad. So right off the bat, we have come to an arbitrary, because it is not a collective understanding. It is an arbitrary. Because we could go back and try to decide, define what is a theft? What is, a, what is bad? If we're going to define what is a theft, well, it's going to be a controversial debate because what is theft to one person may not be to another. Um, so that's one aspect of the debate we have to take into account. The other aspect is bad. But what is bad? We have to define what is bad. Whatever we come up with has to be arbitrary because collectively we are never going to agree as to what is a theft and what is bad. But let us assume that we have come up with a way of defining what is a theft and we have agreed as to what is bad. Individually speaking, the entities that came into this agreement still have an understanding of what is good or what is bad that does not reflect what others think about it. Yes, we have a collective understanding as to what is righteous or what is good or what is bad, what is evil or what is a theft and what is not. But we also have an individual understanding as to what it is. So at some point, that individual understanding is going to affect our behavior. And when that happens, the individuals that came into this agreement have to be able to reconcile the fact that the individuals still have an understanding of certain things. Yes, yes, we agree not to do this. We agree not to do that. But I still have an individual inclination to do it. In other words, my nature is still calling me upon that behavior. The conditions upon which I evolve are forcing me to let my individuality take precedence into my being. And usually that's what happens. People who commit crime, they know what they're doing is unacceptable. They know that what they're, what they're doing is, is wrong, as to, at least as per the definition of the collective. Yet they do it anyway, and sometimes it's an impulse. Other times it's the reality of their lives that forces them to behave that way. And we as a collective, we have to be careful not to, in trying to impose justice, and we become just. Or at least we're imposing injustice. If you live in a society where the collective does nothing to help certain members of the, of the society to evolve, there's a lot of poverty in this collective, right? And at the same time, there's a lot of poverty. The wealth is concentrated into the hands of a few. And those few happens to be those who are on top of this collective, who sort of sort of decide how the collective think. If you, as a collective, are part of 
an environment that creates a condition where poverty is part of this this environment. And somebody who is experiencing that poverty goes out and or does something that is contrary to our understanding as to what righteousness is or what righteousness is not. Then we as a collective, we have to go back and try to understand what forces or what forced this individual to go that route. What made him do that even though he knew he was not supposed to do that? That is the first step before we condemn this individual oftentimes we're going to find out that the individual was reacting to his individuality, to his nature that was taking precedent. If the individual is hungry, theft does not make any difference for him anymore. I mean, if the individual is hungry, the individual has to feed himself, then the definition of theft, at least from a collective standpoint, does not stand anymore. Because that individual has to eat. And when that individual goes out and takes something or takes some, somebody else's goods and whatnot, we as a collective have to go back and say to ourselves, well, at which point this individual acted maliciously, at least with the intent to cause harm to the collective, or at which point the individual acted in a way to protect this individual. Because if you look deep into this behavior, you're going to find out that the individual knew that taking somebody else's good was bad, at least as per our understanding of it, yet the individual couldn't stop himself because he had to feed himself. So that's why it is important for us as a collective to have a good understanding as to what is righteous and what is not. Because in trying to protect the rules that the collective put together, we could be doing harm to this individual more than we could imagine. Because remember, the individual has no means to feed the self. The individual lives in a society where the rules are set. Everything is predetermined. Yet the individual finds himself in a situation where he has to feed himself. And if we have a definition of what is righteous or what is not, that does not include the possibility that this individual might respond to his nature at a particular moment in time in relation to the conditions of the environment where he evolves, then we have a flawed definition of what is righteous. We, as a collective, have a flawed understanding as to what is right and what is not, what is good and what is bad. These are the, um, you know, the, the foundation of, of our society. And they are based on erroneous understandings as to what the world is or what, what it could be. Okay? But the concept of good and bad, as so defined here, is based on this notion that there are two sides. There's no gray area. It's either you're righteous or you're not. And those who engage on, the, on, on good behaviors and those who, who do good, we call them good people. They have good morals. And those who do the opposite, we consider them immorals. They have bad ethics. They're bad individuals. And that's how we define it. We seldom take into account the fact that the individual sometimes has to respond to his nature. And sometimes his nature forces him to behave a certain way in an environment. 
So we as a collective, so long as we have a collective, we have to take that into account. We have to consider the possibility that the individual might be reacting to his nature in this particular moment in time. And whatever we're going to do in accordance to the rules or the, the principles that the individual broke or, or, or violated, whatever we do has to take into account that aspect of the individuality within the collective. It has to take into account that aspect of, of, of being righteous in a world where righteousness is subjective. Because at the end of the day, if we're going to judge people, if we're going to classify good and bad based on our understandings of what is good and bad, then we have to have a clear understanding of, as to whose understanding we're using. At least whose understanding we're relying upon. Okay? Because my understanding of what is good is not necessarily yours. So those are the things that we have to take into account because at the end of the day, if we don't, or at least if we fail to take those facts into account, then we are doomed to the unjust in the name of justice. We are doomed to do, to do wrongs in the name of right or righteousness. We are doomed to do that. So we are doomed to repeat the same mistakes of our past, of our, of, of our predecessors, of the people before us. And we're doomed to repeat their mistake. And we're doomed to make the world a very bad place to be. And don't be wondering why life is bad. Why things are bad. Why life is hard. Because we make it bad. We make it hard. We have rules that do not take into account our realities. And because of that, life is hard. I'm not saying life could be perfect. Like I said in the beginning of this conversation, the human body was designed for both. It was designed to endure both. So life is not supposed to be one way or another. There's always a gray area. It can be good, it can be bad. Sometimes it is both. But the human body has what it takes to endure both of them. But when it is always bad for some, and always good for others, then the question becomes, what's the point of life itself? Life has no meaning, at least for most people. Okay? If the whole point of life is to try to avoid, at least to try to, to, to find something that is righteous, when in fact, righteousness is not inherent in the being, in terms of you're never going to reach something righteous to a point where it is always going to be righteous, unless you understand that, then we're doomed to fight in vain. You're doomed. We are doomed to repeat the same mistakes of our predecessors. We're doomed to be to have this hard life that has no end. We're doomed to fight among amongst ourselves. We're doomed to hate, dislike ourselves. We're doomed to do that forever. So we have to go back into the sources of our problems to understand why are, why do we have problems as a species? Let me give you a very trivial example. Suppose the world was inhabited by one person. Would life be hard? Just imagine for a minute. Suppose that there was only one human being on this planet. Would life be hard? Honestly, just, just think about it for a second. What makes life hard? It's not, it's not the lines. It's not the, the weather. It's not, it's not the elements. Because our nature was designed, our body was designed to deal with that. 
what our body was not designed to deal with are the rules were put in place. Hmm? That's what our nature was not designed to deal with. We as a species were not designed to be constrained, to be controlled. No, we were not. We were not. So it, it takes a toll into our psyche to be under control. It takes a toll in our psyche to be under surveillance. It, it does. So if we had a world where only human, one person lived in it, it would be a wonderful place to be. When it rains, that individual would have to deal with the rain, which might be an inconvenience or perhaps a hardship. When the sun rises, the individual might feel it might be a good time for him because the sun, perhaps, it's a good experience for as long as the sun is not that hard. So if there are animals and other entities within the natural, the individual has what it takes to deal with that. Life would not be bad at all. It would be a good deal. You live so long as your nature allows you. Okay? You live so long as you can. And life would be just an experience, which that's fine. I live to be 100, that's fine. I live to be 20, that's fine. I live to be 5, that's also fine. Because I just live to the extent of my, of my capacity, of, the, of, of my nature. And the reason life is hard is because of us. It's because of how we structure it. Right off the bat, we have this concept that life is either this or that. It's either good or bad. Which, in fact, we know that's not true. But to justify our misunderstanding of what our world is, we refer to others who had no clue as to what the world was. And we said to ourselves, well, look into this little piece of documentation that so-and-so wrote thousands of years ago that told us what life is about. And if you don't understand, if you can't understand what life is about, well, have faith. Have faith that life is going to be better. That's a nonsensical way of living your life. That's a nonsensical way of living your life. The world of today is a world where everything has consequences. Whether you do or don't do, there are consequences. So you have to understand that in order to live your life to the optimum ways possible. The notion of good and bad is a fallacy. It is a fallacy to the extent that we want to believe it to be a certain way. What is good for me is not good for you. What is righteous for me is not righteous for you. So when I impose my good or my righteousness unto you, I become your evil. When I impose my way of seeing the world unto others, I effectively become evil. Because I force myself in, uh, unto others is putting hardships unto others. And the others have a right to see me as the bearer of evil into their lives. Because my world is not your world. My view of the world is not your view of the world. I have to recognize that. I have to understand that. And I have the mental ability to come to that conclusion. If I don't, that's because I am lazy. There is no other way to define it. So, good versus bad? A human construct. Nothing else. Nothing else.